Welcome back to Coach Class with me, Don Birch. This is the podcast where I get to speak to inspirational business leaders and coaches from around the world. And this week, I'm absolutely delighted to welcome onto the podcast Ellie Dern. Ellie is a general counsel, a non-exec company secretary, and an exec and non-exec coach with years experience. And uh, we had the pleasure of working together for a few of those years. Ellie, it's an absolute pleasure. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tom. Now, give us uh, give us a little bit of background. What's your what's your sort of CV in thirty seconds? Where did you end up, and where did you start out? So, I am from Stockport in Manchester. I went to Nottingham Trent Uni and did a law degree. Then I worked for Erwin Mitchell in Sheffield and Birmingham. Then another law firm in Manchester. Then I moved to Asda, where I spent seven, and Walmart, where I spent seventeen wonderful years. I left there in two thousand and fifteen, and now run my own consulting business, providing exec coaching to emerging leaders. So mainly people who are either just moved onto a board, or about to move onto a board, or have got their first non-exec role, and some legal consulting as well. I'll just talk a bit about Asda because it's one of those companies that. I guess that in that year, the years that you were there, those 17 years you were there, Asda was, I guess, going through a lot of change. It probably was at the point where Archie Norman, Alan Layton were there and it was almost bust and sold a couple of car parks to McDonald's and, you know, managed to keep going. Actually had a really strong, vibrant culture where it was, it felt like it was a values-based business, not just a rules-based business. Is that fair? I would say it has still got that's very strong, vibrant culture. Even today, you know, I talk to a lot of people from a lot of different businesses and, and maybe I've got rose-tinted spectacles, but the Asda culture is something really special. The, the way in which colleagues are empowered to get on and do, I think other businesses would kill to have that. And Culture is about the people who work there, how they lead, what they do, how they get things done. I mean, it was. I mean, I was very fortunate to be there. I mean, Archie, I remember Archie would send me an email that required a one-line response and it would take me two hours to craft a reply. And I look back now and laugh at that. I remember talking to somebody at Asda and saying, you know, this idea that um, you should just do things without asking for permission and then seek forgiveness. It's a phrase that you see kicking around lots of organisations now. You even see the phrase colleagues, you know, far more regularly. I remember when I was growing up and my mate Philip Muttit had a Saturday job at the Asda in Lower Early when we were like 16. I remember him talking about being a colleague and I like, you know, more or less threw up on my own shoes. I was like, what, a colleague? What on earth's that? But this idea that it was a people business, that you put people at the heart of the business and then you gave them, you empowered them to get on and do their job, what they were paid to do, went all the way through up to the to the highest echelons. Didn't it? I remember Andy Bond, when he got the chief exec job, saying, God, it's so frustrating. Everyone keeps coming to my office, which he didn't really have, open plan, and asking me to make the decisions. And I have to keep telling them, that's your job. You make the decision. You know, that's one of the things I found really refreshing joining, you know, as a very junior lawyer when I joined and come from private practice. And all of a sudden I had, you know, quite a lot of freedom and autonomy to make decisions. And it's really liberating. And actually you take, you know, you take some risks and things don't always go 
well but actually you learn from them you know I remember people being called out at huge meetings for mistakes they've made having the mickey taken out of them and actually that was it's encouraged to you know to make mistakes and get things wrong because actually that's how you learn but that um, an empowerment is is phenomenal And, and I was smiling Don when you said you know have ask for forgiveness later being the general counsel, a lot of people came to me for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> what we did, and we great, had a great team there, and also we had a great team across the business and we were, who we very much worked in partnership with, and we, we educated people about the consequences of decisions and the framework to operate in so that actually – People weren't just blindly taking risks. They understood the framework. And, and so then that made a huge difference as well. I remember one of the things that you said, and I forget which meeting we were in, but the, the job of legal in Asda was to help say yes to the business when the business wanted to do something, rather than just being the people that came along and said, there's a risk there, so the answer's no, let's err on the side of caution. It was like, how can we pragmatically find a way of enabling the business to do what it does whilst remaining within the law, obviously, but also being compliant you know, and, and having ethics and morals and all those kind of things? But you try to navigate that world. I mean, that, that, that in itself is a kind of... A refreshing perspective to take isn't it for a, for the head of the the legal team in a major major company I, I hope it isn't refreshing as in I would like to think that's how general counsels operate because actually we're there to facilitate the business and do the right thing by the business now you've obviously got to do the right thing by the, in law and ethics but sometimes the law sometimes the law is wrong and you have to challenge the law and so that's one of the great, you know, one of Asda's great strengths. And we had so much fun doing that. I think it maybe it was before your time, Don, but, you know, it, it used to be that the, the drugs company could tell the retailer what price they had to sell certain medicines. So Lemsip, for example, the brand owner would tell us the price at which we could sell and we couldn't go below that price. So you couldn't have a price advantage. Now, that's just wrong. And so we challenged that law. And I do remember one of your colleagues, Nick, being dressed up as a lemsip <laughs> outside the courts in London. You know, that was the right thing to do. We had another major dispute with a razor company who was, again, we were believed that things were happening because they didn't like the price they were selling at. So we set up a barber's chair outside the courts where we issued proceedings against them and was were shaving someone. You know, you can have a lot of fun with it as long as you don't take yourself too seriously. It was a, a great time to be part of the business. I want to switch tack slightly. I know that you're a great proponent of the principles around time to think and that when you were running, you know, big meetings or chairing meetings that you would encourage people to to apply those principles. Do you mind just sort of sharing that approach because I think it's, you know, leading through example and encouraging people to have better thinking time in the in the moments where they are together or preparing for meetings really, really important to help get stuff done. One of the joys of being general counsel and co-sec is, you know, agendas for meetings and committee meetings which can be quite dry and actually you want to have a rich discussion in those meetings so rather than putting the the agenda item you know business plan 2005 or 2015 you'd actually phrase it as a question you know have we does the business plan address the right things does it cover our strategic goals so actually 
you're having a discussion about the relevant issues rather than people just sitting there and flicking through a PowerPoint. Allowing people space to think is just has such a profound effect. So you start off by agreeing you won't interrupt people and they have a minute. I mean, we we would set time, so a minute or two minutes, and you would speak uninterrupted for that amount of time on the chosen topic, and you would go around the room. So you'd start where the energy is, then you go around the room. So everybody knows that they are going to get a chance to speak. You know you can speak uninterrupted. And it, when you're allowed to talk uninterrupted, it really helps bring clarity to your thoughts. So again, you get a you get a much richer discussion, and you get less nitpicking and argy bargy with people talking over one another. And it really does help build trust and build relationships. And interestingly, most people want to do the right thing. So when you even say that in this meeting we're not going to interrupt one another, people suddenly have to start listening. But also, they've got that confidence to know they'll get their turn, and so they're not waiting to interrupt, are they? They're not waiting for that sort of millisecond where somebody stumbles or forgets what they were going to say, and they jump in and finish their sentence. I'm terrible at it, and I, and because I'm an ideasy person, I think if I don't say this brilliant idea now, it'll evaporate, and nobody will get to hear how brilliant and clever I am. And that dynamic starts to shift, doesn't it? I want to, you know, one of the things that you do, obviously, you're, you know, you do coaching at exec and non-exec level, but you're also involved in Girls Out Loud. Tell us about that organisation and, and your involvement over the last five or six years. Yeah, so it, it goes back even further than that. So so the school I went to, um, Harrytown in Stockport, my two of my nieces and nephew also went there. And my sister was a governor and she rang me up and she said, you know, for the first time ever, the boys are doing better than the girls in the exams. And we we're talking about the governor's meeting and she said to me, what do you suggest? Is there anything you can think of that we could do at school? So I did some research and I came across this lady called Jane Kenyon, who was the founder of Girls Out Loud. Girls Out Loud is an organisation that's social enterprise, been around for over 10 years now. And go into school and run programs for young girls about raising aspirations and building confidence. Basically, it's helping young women find their voice because there's so many there's so many competing challenges. We're under so much pressure to look a certain way, to talk a certain way, to do certain things. Girls can lose themselves. And so I spoke to Jane and said I'd like to run a workshop at the school and in fact it was with one of your colleagues Joe Newbold and Nicola who worked for me and I designed a workshop Jane gave me some feedback and we went in and, and, and ran the workshop with the like some 15 year old girls and it was amazing and it's funny because some of those girls still say to my nieces oh your auntie did that session oh that was a really good session you know it really made a difference and made me think about what I was going to do so actually that was you know it had a really positive effect so we run programs in schools and it's the middle girls so a lot of them who will be future leaders of places like Asda and other businesses and it's really easy for them to drop to the bottom and sort of they're not the superstars and they're not the ones that are really in trouble and so they can often get missed in class and so it really does raise their aspirations and it's great We're now girls have gone to university we've had girls who were runners but who gave up because it's not cool to look sweaty have gone back and have got records you know for 100 meters it's really quite remarkable the difference it has made to to, to their confidence and 
you know what what we're seeing now is we've got a bit of uh, we've got a mental health crisis looming calls to childline have increased hugely during lockdown abuse calls to the northwest to the police in the northwest have increased massively online grooming is huge so we've got a lot of girls at home spending more time online and there's a big risk there we also have a program where we work with vulnerable and at-risk girls and in fact we're on a huge um, fundraising campaign at the moment looking for patrons corporate patrons to really help us deliver these programs to, to help these girls become you know successful young women one of the things that really strikes me when you're coaching, mentoring somebody is when, you know, when that, that light bulb moment comes on, either in the moment or or they bump into you six months, a year later, and they and they reference something that you, the conversation you had together or the thing that, that stayed with them. It's a real, I think we think that's a real privilege to be able to bear witness to, to that, where somebody's aspirations have shifted or their confidence level has lifted or just the world has opened up, you know, the blinkers have suddenly come off. Is that what, you know, is that what you get when, you, when you're coaching and helping people? Do you get that, that bit in return? Is that what sort of fires you up? We all have it within, within us to do far more than we ever dream we're capable of. When people realise that and actually create a way of getting there, is is amazing well and then other you know for others it's actually just realizing they can cope with the difficult situation that they're in it's really really satisfying can you think of maybe one of the best bits of advice that, that stayed with you over the years maybe it was a conversation you had maybe it was coaching maybe it was something one of your managers said but but something that has just kind of stayed with you and that you draw back to you know you've drawn back to occasionally when you have those lows or where you're at a crossroad you're not sure which way to go is there a piece of advice that's stayed with you that you could share only takes a minute to be kind you know we're in a world of where everything is fast-paced and how people show up to a situation doesn't often reflect what is going on for them and it, it is very easy to judge harshly and so actually being kind to somebody just can make a massive difference to them and actually, the neuroscience shows that you you being doing an act of kindness has a really positive effect for, for, for you as well as for the recipient. In fact, slightly more positive for the person being kind. Ellie Dern, thank you so much for joining us on Coach Class. It's been an absolute brilliant catching up and reminiscing, but also hearing your story. So thanks again. Thanks, Dom. 